You are listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Good morning. Steve said, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastoral residents here at Liberty, and our, our text for this morning is from Romans 8. Uh, verses 14 to 17. It's going to be on page 944 in one of the black hardcover Bibles that's sitting around you. Um, So if you want to open your Bibles there, that's where we will begin. While you're getting there, um, this is our second week in our series that we're titling uh, Fatherlessness and Foster Care. And today we're going to talk about the biblical idea of being adopted by God. Uh, We're teaching on this because we are convinced that if Liberty Church is going to have a meaningful presence in the Harrisburg region when it comes to fatherlessness and foster care, it will be because we understood our own adoption as children of God. So what we're going to do this morning is kind of take a step back from the nitty-gritty of the details of foster care and fatherlessness in Central PA, and we're going to ask, what does it mean for us to be children of God. What does it mean for us to be adopted by God? Now, earlier this week, I was talking to Steve King, and I asked him, like, man, what do you think the maximum number of points a sermon should have is? And he said that a sermon like, probably shouldn't have any more than five points. Um, anything after that, people start to like check out, fall asleep, check their email. Um, and so, anyway... I have six points this morning, and they don't all rhyme, and they don't all begin with the letter P. And so, um, but while there are more points than usual, the sermon will be the same length. We're just kind of going to go through the points rapid fire, one at a time, and if you need to check your email around point six, I don't blame you, but God sees. (laughs) The big point I want to communicate to you this morning is this. When Christians understand the gospel of adoption, not caring for children in need becomes unthinkable. When Christians understand the gospel of our adoption, not caring for children in need is unthinkable. In other words, I'm convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ, in comparison with every other ideology in the universe, uniquely compels us to care for children in need. And because of that, Christians in particular should be the ones spearheading the initiatives with foster care, adoption, pregnancy care centers, and more. And therefore, if we at Liberty Church are going to become motivated to actually go out and serve and do something, the thing that we need most is to properly understand the gospel of God's adoption of us as children. So I want to read from this morning's text, which is Romans 8, 14 to 17. And then we will pray and ask God for his help. This is what God says. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, And if children, then heirs, 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is God's word. Father, prepare our hearts this morning to accept your word. We ask you to silence in us any voices that are not your own so that we might hear your word and also do it. Show us anew the grandeur of our own adoption and spiritual sonship. Help us gaze again with joy upon what your son has achieved for us. We pray this through Christ our Lord, our brother. Amen. So as I mentioned before, we have six points this morning. And each of these points are privileges that you have by virtue of being an adopted child of God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, these following six things are true of you as you sit there this morning. First, we are chosen. Now, this idea doesn't come directly from our text in Romans 8, but it's assumed in the nature of adoption. Right? Adoption is never the child's idea. It begins with the parents. The very image of adoption as salvation tells us that our relationship with God is based upon God's initiation, not ours. And actually, we see this when the Bible talks about adoption as well. The book of Ephesians, Paul says, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He goes on to say, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Now, just set aside for a moment all of the complex, foggy questions about what it means to be predestined. And think of this one true, simple, beautiful fact Scripture says that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God chose you to be his child. This means that before the world was even created, God saw you. Before God, before you were born, God looked into the future and saw everything that you would do. All of the good things, all of the bad things, all of the sins and the incompetencies, all of the mistakes that you would make as a parent. He saw the time that you went too far with your high school sweetheart. He saw the times that you were uncontrollably angry and words came out of your mouth that you didn't think were possible. He saw your loneliness and the pain of rejection. Before you were born... The God of the universe saw all of it. And his response to your messiness and your brokenness was to look at you and say, I want her in my family. I want him in my family. I will do anything to get them to be my child. I will pay for them to be in my family with my own blood. Other world religions might make a big deal about finding God. In Christianity, there's no such thing. Every other world religion in philosophy, God is lost. And we kind of have to journey or go on an adventure to find him. And so we study our brains out in a library. Or we pay for a plane ticket for a pilgrimage. Or we 
eat a few mushrooms in our friend Ryan's basement. All to try to find a God who has hidden himself in a fog of unknowing. But in Christianity, God's not lost. We are. So the question is not, how do we go about discovering God? After all, God is the one that put out the search party. God is the one that filed the adoption paperwork. The question is, do you even want to be found by him? The beauty of Christianity is that God in Christ comes to us. He chooses us. He initiates the relationship. And we simply decide whether or not we want to be found at all. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, it means you've been chosen. That's point one. We are chosen. Point two, we're forgiven. Adoption doesn't just mean that now you have a new family, although that is an immense blessing in and of itself. Adoption also means that every debt that you owed spiritually has been paid. So in the ancient Greco-Roman world, the practice of adoption entailed not only becoming a part of a new family, but also debt cancellation. So when he's talking about the uh, adoption practices in the first century, Everett Ferguson, a historian, writes this. He says, Adoption was far more frequent and important in Roman society than it is today. The person adopted at any age was taken out of his previous condition. All old debts were canceled. And he started a new life in the relation of sonship to the new family, whose family name he took and to whose inheritance he was entitled. And so if you owed debts in the ancient world before your adopted parents were able to adopt you, they would have to go and pay those debts. Which means that your debts are also forgiven. It's the same thing with our spiritual adoption. Paul puts it like this in another book he wrote. He says, God made you, Liberty Church, you, alive together with him, that is Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Being an adopted child of God means debt cancellation. It means you are forgiven. It means if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are a child of God. And if you are a child of God, there is no condemnation for you. Third, adoption means that we receive intimacy with the Father. Look with me at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, both Abba and Father are terms of dramatic familial intimacy. There is almost a, like, scandalous closeness to these words. And honestly, most of us probably feel a little bit uncomfortable with them. Like in our circles, we tend to prefer to think of God as strong and mighty, powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. Then to think of him as dad, and, and admittedly, I, I still squirm a little bit inside anyone, anytime somebody says, Daddy God. But at the same time, there's an element of truthful beauty to the idea that God is not only the one who created the world, He's not only the one who, with the ease that we could blow the seeds off of a dandelion, could blow this, every planet in our galaxy apart. 
He's also your dad. And therefore, we have intimate access to our father's heart that only children have. Now, I don't, I don't know what kind of fathers you had growing up. I don't know in what ways their intimacy with you let you down. Like maybe you had the kind of dad who um, was like great at providing for you, but was never there fully emotionally. Like he was great at putting food on the table, but didn't care much for the conversation around it. Or maybe you had a kind of dad who, like he came to all of your games, but invariably had like three things you needed to work on afterward. And like you never heard a good job, I'm proud of you, that also wasn't immediately followed by, and here are ways to be better next time. Or or maybe your father was far worse than even that, and, and barring a psychological miracle, you will spend the remaining decades of your life never fully recovering from what he's done. I don't know in what ways your earthly father let you down with his intimacy, But I want to say this, your adopted father in heaven never will. I kind of understood this truth on a whole new level personally for me. Just recently, when I I became a father, um, I have a daughter who's two years old now. And um, many of you parents can probably relate when I say that that first year of raising my daughter came with like some unique middle-of-the-night kinds of difficulties. And um, if I'm honest, my wife, Alexis, dealt with most of those just because I am horrible at breastfeeding. And, but every once in a while, I wouldn't breastfeed, but every once in a while, I would have the opportunity to like, try to rock this tiny, squishy little human being back to sleep. Now, Normally, if you would wake me up in the middle of the night, I would be uh, groggily incoherent, grouchy, very much not happy to see you. But every once in a while, with Lila, I would be holding her, and she would be screaming her tiny little lungs out, and I would just be in tears, overwhelmed with love for my daughter. Because she's my daughter. She could scream as loud as she wanted, and I would just be dazed with love for my child. She has a special access to my heart that no one else does, that can only come by way of being my daughter. And this morning, it's the same thing with your God, who is your Father in heaven. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are God's child. So when when we scream at the sky, we do not cry out before a distant, cold, grouchy, not happy to see you because you woke him up in the middle of the night kind of father. We do not come as strangers, timidly knocking quietly on his door because we're scared of him, but only with the privilege that children have. We come to our father with a special access to his heart because he is our Abba Father. Church, this is salvation. Salvation is as much relational as it is legal. 
It's as much about being a part of a family as it is having your sins forgiven. It is intimacy with the Father. That's point three. We receive intimacy. Fourth, adoption means that we can be unified to one another as a body. So while both Abba and Father are terms of dramatic familial intimacy, there's something deeper at play that Paul is getting at. Abba is the Aramaic term for father. And what is translated as father in our text, pater, is the Greek translation of, uh, is the English translation of the Greek word for father. What Paul is saying is that one of the immediate implications of being adopted by God is that we're also reconciled to one another. Both Jews and Gentiles call God father, but they use different names. And yet, both Jews and Gentiles, through Christ, worship the same Father, even if they say it differently. In other words, the, the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. This is true for us here as well. By adopting us, God has given us a supernatural family that is here in the room with you right now. So in case these other points were a little too abstract for you, for this one, all you need to do is turn and look at the person next to you. God has chosen for you before the foundation of the world, brothers and sisters, a blood-bought family, a community of people who have also had their debts forgiven and received sonship as children. Because we have been adopted as children, we can be unified as a family. Fifth, we are secure. Now, in the ancient Roman world, adoption laws were actually quite similar to adoption laws that we have today. So today, like if you adopt a child in the United States, almost every state in the U.S., that child is yours, and there is no legal difference between biological and adopted children. It's the same. There's no difference. That's the same thing for the Greco-Roman context in which Paul is writing. Adopted children had the exact same privileges, rights, as biological children. They had the same family name. They had the same right to an inheritance. There is no legal difference at all. Which is why Paul writes in verse 17, he says, we are fellow heirs with Christ because we're children. So we're fellow heirs. Jesus, in this kind of metaphor here, is the biological son and we are the adopted sons. And the same rights that Jesus owns by virtue of his obedience, you also own by virtue of your adoption. And this makes us unimaginably secure. Because if God were to disown you as a child he would also have to disown Jesus. You could say it like this. Your adoption is as secure as the fact that God is God. Sometimes I hear Christians say things like, um, like if I were to die and God were to send me straight to hell, he would have done me no wrong. And while that is, sounds pious, and you can kind of agree with the sentiment behind it, salvation is a gracious act of God. At the same time, it's very, very wrong. It cannot happen. For God to lose you as an adopted child, the Trinity would have to fall apart. 
Once God adopts a child as his own, he never disowns them. It's impossible. He has united you to his biological son. Therefore, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. And if you are a child of God, you can never be disowned. You are safe and secure in the family of God. That's point five. We're secure. Point six, we have an inheritance. So the whole like driving emphasis of our text here in Romans 8 is on this inheritance that we as adopted children have. Right? We as adopted into the family of God get what Jesus Christ, the biological son, merited. We get an inheritance. But what is our inheritance? Well, look at verse 17. He says, If we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. He says, if you're a child, then you're an heir of God. What does that mean? Some scholars say that heirs of God likely means that we are heirs of um, God's new world, every blessing in the heavenly places, God's good gifts. And while that makes sense, I think there's a deeper conception here going on. The, The Bible scholar John Murray writes, it is difficult to suppress the richer and deeper thought that God himself is the inheritance of his children. And this makes sense. The Psalms know this idea well. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Or as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? God himself is the pinnacle of our adopted inheritance. And listen, if, if you have any interest at all in being satisfied in life, this is the best news in the world. Every good thing you have ever experienced on earth, right? the, the beauty of watching a sunset with your friends, the pleasure of sex, the smell of freshly cut grass on a summer day if you don't have allergies, the joy of holding a child, the first like warm spring day when you step outside and feel the sun on your skin after months of a cold winter, the taste of bacon, Every good thing you have experienced in life is a shadow of the infinite beauty that resides within God himself. And therefore, the greatest possible gift that God could give us is God. The chief privilege of being an adopted child of God is getting God himself. That's the sixth and the greatest privilege of being a child of God. So if you are a child of God then this morning, You are chosen. You're forgiven. You are unified to one another. You're secure. You can now have true intimacy with your Father. And you have an inheritance awaiting you that will make your greatest day on earth feel dull and gray in comparison. This morning, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, then the the tough reality is you're not a child of God. 
You've not been adopted. And, and therefore, these six things cannot be said of you. But if you're not, I just want to say this. I believe God has you here this morning for a reason. Further, I believe that reason is that he wants you in his family. In fact, I believe you're here this morning because God is searching for you to adopt you. He is looking for you. The only question before you this morning is, do you want to be found? If the answer to that is yes, then I would love to talk to you after the service. Or any person that you've seen up here would also, or even the person that brought you. If you are a follower of Jesus, then to you, I want to say, who better to care for children in need than those who have been adopted by God? Who better? Dan Kruver says this. He says, orphan care is gospel reenactment. If we understand the gospel of adoption, not caring for children in need is unthinkable. So as we continue this series through the rest of the month, I invite you, just ask God how he is calling you to care about foster care and fatherlessness. You don't have to be married to engage these issues. This is a thing that applies across the board universally to every Christian. There are so many ways to serve and get involved, and we're going to talk about them um, in the coming weeks especially. For now, just ask yourself, how is God calling me to reenact the gospel and care for children in need? Because if we understand the gospel of adoption, not caring for children in need is unthinkable. Will you pray with me? Father, it is because of the gospel of adoption that we can even call you Father at all. We thank you for your grace and adoption. Thank you for adopting us. While we were still sinners, your son died for us to bring us into your family. I pray that you would make that truth real to us again. Help us understand you not only as the God of the universe, but also as our Father. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.